0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Ephesians with a a series of studies where we're, we're learning from Paul's praise to God in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. And in part three, we're going to be studying verses seven through 10. Uh, so let's actually start reading in verse three. This is going to be our habit. It has been the last two weeks. We'll continue it. We're going to read verse three all the way through verse 14 in one breath. I'm just going to keep milking that joke, but let's just, let's, let's try. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do it. You'll hyper, hyper, hyperventilate. Uh, verse three of Ephesians chapter one. to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory." As I said the last two weeks, the the blessings that Paul detail for us in verses 3-14 through are, are not meant to trip us up, to cause us to get puffed up in pride, not meant to drive us to separate from one another into different theological factions or bring division and strife and disunity in the church. Instead, all of the deep theological and doctrinal truths that are found in these verses should lead us to do the same thing that it led Paul to do, which is to praise and worship our God, to rejoice in who he is and what he's done for us and in us and, and what He said to us and about us. If our takeaway as we study these verses isn't primarily us wanting to bless and praise and Worship the Lord and be in awe of our Lord. As I've been saying, we're, we're missing the point of why these verses are here for us as saints. Those who through faith in Jesus are now in Christ. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the importance of verse 3. The, the foundation that it sets for the verses to follow. Learn something crucial from Paul's praise to God, which is that the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Then last week in verses 4 through 6, we saw some specific ways that God the Father has blessed us. These blessings seen in us being chosen in verse 4, adopted in verse 5, and accepted in verse 6. But now as we look at verses 7 through 10, we're going to start seeing some specific ways that God the Son has blessed us. These blessings seen in us being redeemed through his blood and given forgiveness of our sins in verse 7. And also being given revelation of his will as we're going to see in verses 9 and 10. And we're going to continue even into verse 12 to see more ways that God the Son has blessed us, and and then following that up, see ways that God the Holy Spirit has blessed us. But with God's Trinitarian involvement in mind, I want us to look at a quote uh, by Warren Wiersbe, who uh, just helps us to kind of have the right mindset as we consider the work of our God in these verses. He wrote this. He said, we should not think that each person of the Godhead works independently, because they all work together to make possible our salvation. But each person has a special ministry to perform. A special spiritual deposit to make in our lives. It's not man, that's a good way of viewing these verses as we consider our God who is working in all of these different ways. And so with that, uh, let's read verses 7 and 8. In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made, uh, sorry, that was verse 8, so I went past where I was saying. Just to keep in mind, Paul's use of the word blessed to begin verse 3 makes it clear that the context for all of the deep and rich doctrine that we find in verses 3 through 14 is not Paul seeking to make an argument or to cause people to divide over theological differences, but that these things really are just Paul praising God for all that he's done. And, and one of the things that God the Son has done for us as his saints, one of the ways he's blessed us as we see in verse 7, is that we've been redeemed Through his blood, forgiven of our sins. Redeemed through his blood and forgiven of our sins. The the first blessing that Paul lists for us here, that we've been given by Jesus, is that in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And the first thing we learn from this, this is that Jesus is our redeemer. When we consider this aspect of redemption, we're finding here that Jesus is our Redeemer and there is no other. There is no no Redeemer apart from Jesus. There's no redemption apart from Jesus. And the second thing we learn from this is that Jesus is the one who provides forgiveness for us, which lets us know that without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. But but with both redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our sins in mind, I want us to check out and, and sort of camp out in uh, something that Peter wrote, a very similar thing, kind of expanding in a sense on what Paul wrote even. First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 to 19, Peter wrote this in his first letter. He said, knowing That you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That word knowing speaks of knowing something reflectively. We might say remembering or, or calling to mind. Peter, writing to believers here, says that we're to remember, we're to think about what we were redeemed from and how we were redeemed. Now, the word redeemed itself implies that there was a situation where someone was held captive, was in bondage, was enslaved. And the only way for that person to be set free was for a ransom to be to be paid to be redeemed means a price was paid for a person to be set free now i i think even as we talk about this there's in us because of our pride because of our blindness to sin and the effects of sin in our lives that when we hear the definition of of what redemption is maybe for many people we automatically would say, I'm not a slave to anybody. I'm free, I'm my own person. I mean, even the Jewish people in Jesus' day, Jesus being a Jew, speaking to other Jewish people, talked about slavery to sin, and the response to Jesus was, we've never been anyone's slave. And if we know the history of the Jewish people, we very quickly could go, say, what now? You mean, like, okay, maybe uh, even at that very moment, they were under Roman occupation. They were being occupied by Rome. They were under the dominion of Rome. They were not a sovereign nation at that point in time. But let's go back further. We could think of how the Philistines enslaved people. We could think about how, you know, thousands of years even earlier. The Assyrians, the Medo-Persians, the Babylonians, the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire. There had been a pattern of slavery. And and so we might hear the word redemption, but for us, we hear it and so we're being kind of confronted with this idea that there's something that you and I have been a slave to that we need to be freed from. And so many of us in our in our flesh, in our pride, it's just there's an immediate like repulsion to that. Like, no, like I'm free. No, what? Like, how many people don't want like they want to have their own business because they don't want to work for anybody, they don't want to, to answer to anybody, they don't want to feel like a, a servant or a slave to somebody else. Right? Have you ever heard that? I didn't want to work for somebody, and that's not bad. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Or it's a bad thing to be a business owner. But that kind of mindset that we see there, we carry it over and go, I'm not a slave to anything. And yet, biblically, when we consider this idea of redemption, when we're confronted with the reality that you and I needed to be purchased out of slavery, we're being confronted with this idea, this reality that you and I were actually born into slavery spiritually because of our sin. Each one of us, because we're all born with the sin nature that we inherited from our great, 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 We're born separated from God because of our sin. Even in this very letter that we're considering, we're told that we were were dead in our sin, in our trespasses. It doesn't get more bleak than that. On the spiritual reality side, apart from Christ, a slave to our sin and to Satan. We were all born in desperate need of redemption, whether we realized it or not, whether we like it or not. Peter here reminds us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. In other words, no amount of the things of greatest physical or material value in this world would ever be enough to redeem, to pay the ransom price for the soul of a human being. Gold and silver are both corruptible. They're perishable things. And while they can be used for eternal or spiritual purposes, if used rightly, they hold no inherent eternal value. They don't hold the ability to to be used in redeeming the soul of a man or woman. But in that day, silver and gold coins were used to free a slave out of their slavery. Jesus knew that mankind could not redeem themselves. We could not redeem ourselves. No amount of trying really hard could do it. No amount of money could be paid so that that spiritual debt that we owed would be remedied. And so Jesus gave his life as the ransom, as the purchase price, to set us free. The most valuable thing in all of the created universe is the soul of a man or woman. God has given incredible value to human life. And we can say that with complete confidence because the ultimate price that could be paid, God in human flesh giving his life was paid to save our souls and bring us true freedom. We're to think about and know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things. But then he goes on to say, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers. Again, Peter is drawing our minds back to, to think about and be reminded of what we've been redeemed from. The aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers is, is, is speaking about our, our way and quality of life before we were saved by Jesus. This tradition of our fathers is referring to godless things that have been naturally passed down from generation to generation. Aimless or uh, empty conduct, void of real meaning or purpose is what's passed down and inherited through our sin nature. Aimless means that our lives before Christ redeemed us from a heavenly, eternal, spiritual perspective were, were empty. They were useless, pointless, fruitless. We were redeemed From an empty life that was veering off course. See, when the direction of our lives is is aimed in any other direction than at Jesus Christ, the aim, the goal, the the direction of our life is off. Jesus is who gives our lives value and purpose and meaning. He's who who makes our lives full and fruitful and rewarding. So we're to remember what we've been redeemed from, but then we're to focus on our Redeemer and His redemptive work. We weren't redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver, but as Peter says in verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. Now this isn't a golem, Lord of the Rings type of precious here. A creepy, precious, weird, gross, greedy I'm not even going to do the impression. Just going to move on. Come on. (laughs) Precious, incredible value or worth. The blood of Christ is of incredible, infinite worth. And to further reinforce the the preciousness, the value of Jesus' blood, we're told his blood was as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Meaning it was perfect and sinless and pure. Because Jesus was completely perfect and sinless and pure, he alone was qualified to be our redeemer. Jesus paid the ransom, the price for you and I to be set free and be brought out of slavery to sin and to Satan. And in order to do that, Jesus gave the most costly thing he could possibly give, and that was his blood upon the cross, his life sacrificed for you and me. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The the lamb without blemish or, or spot had been a common animal used by the Jewish people to make atonement for their sins for roughly 1,400 years or so at the time Paul and Peter were ministering. Starting with the time of the tabernacle being built and the sacrificial system being put in place by God, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after their exodus from Egypt, again, a period of 400 plus years of slavery, of bondage, until the time of Christ. 1,400 plus years of these people, any time a lamb without blemish or spot was referenced, they knew exactly what was being talked about, the significance of it. The lamb became the substitute. See, without the shedding of blood, as Scripture tells us, there could be no forgiveness of sins. So the lamb would be taken to the tabernacle or eventually to the temple once it was built under Solomon. The person would put his or her hand on the animal. Its blood would be spilled so that the sins of that person could be covered. But that atonement, that covering of sin would have to happen continually over the course of a person's life because guess what that person would sin again and again and again and again you know you i know me how many lambs would we go through in our life how many times would we have to witness that and a costly sacrifice this wasn't like a flippant sort of thing like we're just Throwing away a piece of paper in the waste bin. These were, the, each one of these animals represented a, a cost to the person who it belonged to. For it to be spotless and without blemish and pure. It was an animal that was given extreme care almost considered to be a part of the family to keep it from getting snagged on a fence or on a bush to where all of a sudden a scar would be put on that animal. It would no longer be acceptable to be used as a sacrificial lamb. And to think about all the times that that happened over and over and over again. It reminds us why we needed a better sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Why Jesus is also described in Scripture as the Lamb of God. In fact, in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You want like a little bit of extra cool insight on that? Sherry in her podcast actually a few weeks back uh, hit on this um, dynamic of 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 the of the lamb and how the, the priest would look to the lamb when it was brought to uh, be brought for atonement of someone's sins. But but Jesus, as the pure, spotless, sinless, perfect Lamb of God, became our substitute. On the cross. Took all of the sin. And guilt and shame. Of all of humanity. Bearing all of our sin. We can't even hardly bear our own sin. In a moment of time. Let alone having the sin of humanity. Thrust upon one individual. In one point in time. Like Jesus did. so that by putting our faith in him and his finished work on the cross, we could receive salvation, redemption, forgiveness of sin, be given his righteousness, be made right with the Father, made acceptable in the eyes of God, be brought into the family of God, be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, be given the promise that we will forever be with him. Jesus, as our sacrificial lamb, truly paid it all he paid our ransom paid our debt paid all that was necessary to bring us out of slavery to sin and to satan so that we could live a life of freedom in the lord and experience the forgiveness of sins that jesus has provided through his blood I love it that Jesus said, look, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You know, we do things, and and without Jesus, okay, we we might try really hard, like, okay, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to be a better person. You're being a better person. It's like, but then there's other lingering things that are still an issue. It's still sin, still there to know as people have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that that God is transforming us by his grace, that there's power in Jesus to overcome sin. Do you know that we don't have to sin? We do sin. We will sin, but we don't have to sin. The power of the Spirit of God living inside of us, we have the power that's necessary to not sin, but so often we choose us. We choose our way. We we don't want to do it God's way. We choose pride. We choose selfishness. We choose bitterness. We choose unforgiveness. But to know as the people of God, that that doesn't put us back that doesn't put us back into this place where we're now separated from God by our sin. We're in that place of, of bondage and, and under the control of Satan, but that, that he's looking at us and he's going, but I, I have a, every day I've got new mercies for you. I wanna do something new in your life today. You know, so many of us don't realize how sin truly affects us. Sin kills. It kills and it enslaves. I mean, think about it. Us us not getting that, humanity not getting that, is is the oldest trick in the book, It's the oldest deception of Satan. It's the original one. Because in the garden, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are in perfection and he's given them all the fruit of the trees of the garden to eat except one. Because on the day that they eat it, they'll die. Separation would come. Yes, physical death was going to come as a result of that but the moment that sin came in, it, it killed our relationship with God. And the thing that Satan spoke to Eve is the same thing that Satan is still speaking to every single person today. You won't really die. You won't really die. It's not really that serious. It's not that big of a deal. But what Satan knows is that we will die. It does kill us. And you know what? He doesn't care about us. You know why? Because his whole agenda is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. And we praise God that Jesus was willing to be our substitute, our perfect substitutional sacrifice in our place that we could be forgiven we could be redeemed by his blood that's grace that's grace because you and i know us we know us we didn't deserve that we didn't deserve for jesus to come to earth and live in the depths of all of our wickedness without sin himself and and love us the way that he did, and then go to the cross in our place as people are spinning upon him and cursing him and blaspheming him. That's grace. We see this grace in the second half of verse seven and through verse eight. Verse seven, again, it says, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, The third thing we learn from this first blessing is that Jesus has done all of this in us and for us by his grace. This blessing of redemption, of forgiveness of sins has been provided to us according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. See, in Jesus's infinite wisdom, And prudence, or that word prudence could also be uh, translated as understanding or purpose. He decided to shower, to lavish his grace upon us. Made it abound toward us. And we see the riches, the wealth, the abundance of his grace in how he redeemed us through his blood. And has forgiven us of our sins. He didn't owe us redemption or forgiveness, nor were we deserving of him sacrificing his own perfect, sinless life to provide those things for us. And that reality is what helps us to see that we've been showered with the riches of his grace. Guys, again, these things should, in us, just cause us to want to praise the Lord. God, why? Why? Why would you want to do that? Why would you redeem me with your blood? Why would you forgive me of my sins? You didn't owe me that. You didn't owe me anything. And yet you did it anyway. You did it willingly. Scripture tells us that for the joy that was set before him. That's you and me. The joy. That was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He despised the shame. He thought little of it. The greater thing in Jesus' estimation was the joy. I get you guys. Yeah, this is shameful. Yeah, I'm, I'm having to have all of the sin of humanity placed upon me. Along with the physical torture of crucifixion. But you know what? I don't really care about that. I don't really care about that. The important thing to me is is people. It's getting people. It's getting people out of slavery to sin and purchasing them for myself because I want them. That's grace. That's grace. And we just go, oh my gosh, Lord. Truly, truly, truly riches, truly a showering of your grace that you poured out upon us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. But there's more. It's like the, be, it's like the best like ad. You know, like you see the infomercials and for $39.99, you get one of these items. And they talk about how great it is but there's more. We're gonna give you a second one at the same price. And you're like, oh my gosh, I need to call right now. This is infinitely better because it's not costing you anything. It costs Jesus everything. It's free. Isn't that amazing? There's more. Verses nine and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. The the second blessing Paul lists for us that we've been given by Jesus is that he's made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, we might look at that and go, I don't know, your will still seems pretty mysterious to me most of the time. I, I don't know how many times I've wondered, God, what is your will? It seems very elusive to me. It seems very mysterious. Now, he's not saying that all of the specifics of God's will are all being laid out for us all at once, all in Scripture, because we would have a very large book in front of us, if that was the case. But specific to a very specific thing here, he's saying, look, we've been brought into the know about this very specific aspect of the will of God that's been a mystery in times past, but it's now being revealed to us in the present. He has made known, he's revealed, he's given uh, he's given us revelation regarding the mystery of his well. And biblically, just so we're all on the same page, this word mystery here does not refer to something that's never made known, like that old Unsolved Mysteries television show. Um, I have a really funny story about my wife and I from early on, like watching Unsolved you know. Oh, what's the, like, she was getting freaked out by it. It's like, what's the problem? Like, it's unsolved. The problem is it's unsolved. It's like one of the best is like we always, like, it's a moment in time early. Now, 22 years married. It's like unsolved. It was unsolved. That's why it's so freaky, right? Not that kind of mystery. But but according to the, the Bible knowledge commentary, this word mystery refers to a previously hidden truth. Unveiled by God's revelation. A previously hidden truth unveiled by God's revelation. And Paul goes on to explain what the mystery of God's will is that we've been given revelation about in verses 9 and 10. First, we see the reason for the revelation that it was according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. And this phrase is already something we've seen Paul write. In verse 5, we saw that our adoption by the Father was according to the good pleasure of his will. And now here, we see that the revelation that the Son, Jesus, has given us into the mystery of his will was also according to his good pleasure. It was according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that he himself planned beforehand. He wants us to be in the know regarding his will. Um, you know, when we think of the nature of God, things that we know about who God is, right? He's omnipresent and omniscient. And, and we can look at some of these things and we go, okay, like that's really big. That's, that's like on a scale that I can't even fathom. And this infinite God who sits out of time, who chose us before the foundation of the world, he's got that kind of knowledge and ability. He's got that kind of infinite care and love. He's the kind of God who would sacrifice literally everything for you and me, giving himself to redeem us through his blood. And he's going, you know what? I want you guys to know some really special things. I want you guys to know my will. It's like another one of those things like god you didn't have to you didn't have to bring us into the loop on these things. You could have left us out. We could have just been kind of walking in the dark and we are were, we're trying to navigate life and but he's left us his will in his word. Do we realize that god's word is his will? We so often wonder like what's the will of god? What's god's will? And and there's a there's a way that the Spirit of God will lead us situationally, presently, practically. But oftentimes we like ignore that He's given us an entire book that's full of what His will is for, for our lives, that speaks into so many different aspects of life and relationship and value and how we treat other people and how we're to view things and what eternity is all about and how we can get into heaven. And and all of that is found in God's word. We're not left in the dark. But how often do we navigate life like we are in the dark? His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path Guys, we need to let it be the light that God's called it that it should be. We need to be people of the word. He wants us to be in the know regarding his will. And through Paul's letter here to the church in Ephesus, he brings us greater revelation regarding things in his will that were previously a mystery in ages past, like Gentiles becoming one with Jews to become this amazing thing that Jesus has created called his church. Oh, oh, a new society as we kind of looked at in one of our interests. A a new people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood united in Jesus. We could be divided by so many different things in this world, but in the church it's the one place where All tongues and tribes and colors and backgrounds can come together and be one people because Jesus makes us one by his salvation. Jesus takes pleasure in including us into those things that previously were a mystery to us but were in his mind to bring about And then in verse 10, we see see what this revealed mystery of his will is that Paul is referencing here that we've been brought into the know about. He says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That word dispensation just refers to a, a stewardship or an administration, a method of, of tending to or, or managing the affairs of a group of people. And, and I want us to understand something here because some have wrongly isolated this one verse and, and falsely come to a conclusion that somehow Paul is, is really um, giving us a, the doctrine of universalism here, that in the end, all things are going to come together, everyone's going to be saved, it's all going to work out in the end. Uh-uh-uh. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he says throughout the rest of this letter. It's not what the rest of the New Testament writers or anyone, any place in the New Testament speaks about. Salvation is only available to the living on this side of heaven and only available to those who repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. There is only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus But clearly, Jesus does have a plan, not just for the present, but also for the future, which he's including us in. And I have three different quotes I want to show you, which sort of build upon each other and shed some needed light on this passage. So uh, Warren Wearsby said about this, he wrote, This letter has much to say about God's plan for his people A plan that was not fully understood even in Paul's day. The word mystery has nothing to do with things eerie. It means a sacred secret once hidden but now revealed to God's people. We believers are a part of God's inner circle. We are able to share in the secret that God will one day unite everything in Christ. Ever since sin came into the world, things have been falling apart. First, he says, man was separated from God, Genesis chapter 3. Then man was separated from man, as Cain killed Abel in Genesis chapter 4. People tried to maintain a kind of unity by building the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. But God judged them and scattered them across the world. God called Abraham and put a difference between the Jew and the Gentile. A difference that was maintained until Christ's death on the cross. Sin, he says, is tearing everything apart. but in Christ, God will gather together uh, God will gather everything together in the culmination of the ages. We are a part of this great eternal program. John Stott also said about this. He wrote, "Already Christ is head of his body." This is actually something Paul's going to speak about even at the end of this chapter. He says, "Already Christ is the head of the body. Uh, The church, his body, the church, but one day all things will acknowledge his headship. At present, there is still discord in the universe, but in the fullness of time, the discord will cease and that unity for which we long will come into being under the headship of Jesus Christ. And then finally, David Gutzik said about this, he wrote, God's ultimate plan is to bring together, to ultimately resolve All things in Christ, either through Jesus as a savior or Jesus as a judge. This will happen in the fullness of the times. The word for gather together has the idea of to unite or to sum up. It was used for the process of adding up a column of figures and putting the sum up at the top. Paul's Paul's idea is that God will make all things add up at the end. And right now, he is in the process of coming to that final sum. This is the great resolution and deliverance that even the creation groans for. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. The day when every wrong will be righted and every matter resolved according to God's holy love and justice. He has a plan. He has a plan. Isn't that a great thing to know? God has a plan. Everything seems out of control in our world. God has a plan. Everything's out of control in your life, maybe. God has a plan. In the riches of his grace and in his infinite wisdom and understanding, he has revealed to the church age what was previously not known in ages past. And this revelation should give us greater confidence in Jesus, who is both Savior and Judge, knowing that he has a plan and will be faithful to carry out that plan that he's made us a part of. But these truths also remind us how badly this world needs Jesus' redemption and forgiveness and maybe for some this morning that's even one of us we're gonna learn some more from paul's praise to god next week i'm not the worship team come back up but you know we all sin we all sin every one of us all have sinned every single person falls short of the glory of god there is none righteous, no, not one, Scripture tells us. He who says he's without sin is a liar. And the truth is not in him, Scripture tells us. So we're confronted with this thing that our pride just wants to, Ugh, I don't, don't tell me I'm a sinner, don't tell me that I'm enslaved, don't tell me that I have a problem that needs to be figured out and that I can't do it, I can't overcome it. That I need someone else's help. And yet the reality of Scripture is that you need help and I need help. Every single one of us needs help. That no amount of money, you can be the richest person in this world, you cannot buy your redemption. You cannot save your soul from an eternity in hell. But by the gracious free gift of Jesus Christ, salvation is available to every single one of us. Every single person in all of humanity. God's word tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Grace. Grace, the riches of his grace. And so even for those of us who know Jesus personally, we sin. And there's things that we need to confess to the Lord. And, and we need to come back to him and go, God, please, I, I blew it. I was, in, I was walking in my pride. I was acting selfishly. I didn't love that person with your love, God. I treated them the way that I just wanted to treat them. We sin against the Lord, and we need to ask for forgiveness, not for salvation if we've already received it, but that relational component, that fellowship to be restored that's been damaged by sin, if that's us today. To not just be in that place of gratitude gratitude because we should be at what Jesus has done for us, but also relationally to go, man, Lord, there maybe there is some things in my life that I've been ignoring, I've been sweeping under the rug, I've been making excuses for. And Lord, today, forgive me. Cleanse me. God, I'm sorry. But if you've joined us this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture is very clear. Every single person is born under sin, born into bondage. And the only way for freedom to come, the only way for forgiveness to come is by the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus. And this morning, he is holding that out to every single one. God's desire is that none would perish. All would come to repentance. God Really, truly does not send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by rejecting his free gift of salvation. No one's going to go to hell and be like, I was, I, no, there's an opportunity that's given. The choice is to be made. And today is a new day. It's a new day to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want to be set free. I want forgiveness I want to be saved so would you pray with me Lord God we thank you for your word this morning God thank you for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places Lord thank you that Jesus you have provided us with redemption through your blood you paid our ransom you wanted us to be free Jesus, you wanted to forgive us of our sins. Even in all of our rebellion against you, in all of our pride, that Jesus, your desire was to forgive and you did everything necessary in order for that forgiveness to be ours. And Lord, maybe for some of us today, Lord, we've experienced the freedom of Jesus. We've experienced the salvation of Jesus. But today, there's some things in our lives that we need to confess to you. We need to repent of today. Lord, would we not quench the convicting work of your spirit this morning, but Lord, would we just humble ourselves and surrender and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me, cleanse me. Lord, I've strayed in my heart. God, I've been doing things my own way. But Lord, today I come back. I recommit. Or Lord, I'm struggling with this certain thing in my life, this certain sin. And God, I want full freedom. I want full victory over these things. God, would you meet them where they're at? Lord, would you strengthen them and give them power to overcome temptation? to abstain from the sin, Lord, that's been tripping them up. Lord God, thank you for your amazing grace, the riches of your grace, Lord, which you've lavished, Lord. You've showered abundantly upon us, Lord. Knowing that we were undeserving, Lord, knowing that we were unworthy of all these things, Lord, you did it anyways because of your great love for us your great desire for us. But look, if you're here today and you've never first just opened your heart to Jesus Christ, you've never received his salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, to know that your debt has been paid, to know that your freedom has been purchased with the blood of Jesus, today that can all change if that's you would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you where you're at and you're going look that's me I want my sin forgiven today I want Jesus to save me to set me free from slavery to sin is that anyone in here today that you would say that's 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 me Jared pray for me maybe any this morning that you've wandered from the shepherd and overseer of your soul and you're going, look, I need to come back. I need to recommit today. Is that anyone that I could pray for you? Would you raise your hand and go, I I, want to return today. Oh Lord, you know each heart. God, you know what each is maybe even wrestling with even this morning, God, maybe doubts or disbelief, Lord. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's the pull of this world, the influence of this world. God, I pray that you would be softening, Lord, their hearts. God, that you'd be working both in conviction and in convincing, Lord, that they would see their spiritual state that, Lord, they'd come to that place, God, and maybe it's even later this afternoon, Lord, that they would just humble themselves before you and, and say, Jesus, forgive me, save me. Be my Savior and Lord and God. Redeem me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a child of God. I encourage you to, to not wait to make that decision now, is the time today is the day of salvation and so lord as we uh, respond to your word lord in songs of praise and the taking of the communion elements lord and and, in being prayed for in the back corner of the room lord we just god we want to continue lord to press in lord we want to love you lord and and to praise you god because you're worthy And so, God, we thank you, Lord. We worship you. God, you are good, Lord. We thank you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.